Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. Given that we've got these extra years in our life, what are we going to do with them? How are we going to be generative? How are we going to give back? Moira Ware has worked from the kitchen table as a direct service social worker through to the cabinet table as a chief of staff to a minister. She has extensive strategic and operational experience in the not-for-profit sector and in government at state, regional, national and international levels. Moira received an Australian honour in 2019 AM for her significant service to the community of South Australia. She is a director of Ethical Fields, non-executive director for Scope Global, and has just been appointed Elder in Residence at CEO. What a fabulous title. She also provides advice to Australia's leading system change organisation, Collaboration for Impact. Moira is the founder of Chooks SA, Hen House Co-op, and a co-founder of Collab for Good. Moira is a social entrepreneur and such a strong advocate for women and people who are disadvantaged. It is so lovely to get to talk to you today. Welcome to the podcast, Moira. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Michelle. So if there is one thing you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Right now, it would be about growing older and what does it mean to be an elder in our society, particularly in our white Western world. Oh, I love that. It's so true. I think, uh, you know, that that whole respect for elders is so different in other communities, isn't it? So talk to me more about that. When I look around the world, I think we do it really badly in Australia. You know, if I look at Indigenous cultures, and I, when I say Australia, I say white, mean white Australia. I mean, Indigenous Australians are, I think, leading the way to show us what eldership really is all about and um, supporting their elders and valuing elders and elders taking the lead and the responsibility for you know, finding a pathway forward. And I see this in First Nations communities all over the world, but also in, you know, in Europe and in Asia, there is a real respect for older people and they're not sort of popped away into nursing homes and, or they're used by date once they start getting grey hair or they stop being listened to. So I really noticed that we aren't so good at that and we could take some lessons from other parts of the world and we could start at home just by listening and watching our First Nations people around the country and how they respect and honour and revere and learn and lead as elders. 
Yeah, I, I kind of like I completely agree with you. And for someone, you know, I don't have my grandparents. I lost them when I was really young. So I've always like really looked to older people for wisdom and different mates that are older or or even my friends' grandparents and stuff like I love their stories and I'm always kind of, you know, asking them advice about things. So why is it do you think that we as a society don't uh, you know, revere our elders because they, they're, you know, they've done it before. They have so much advice to give us. Why don't we take that on? I don't know whether it's a feature of, you know, not having deep roots in a country. When I look at what organisations or how communities are organised, that's a better way of saying it, uh, around the world, in places where there's been continuous occupation and continuous communities, there seems to be something about the relationship to the land and just being around long enough. And Australia is, uh, generally speaking, you know, colonisation is only a couple of hundred years old. So I don't think we've got the deep roots yet to hold us to our story and our place. When you're saying that, though, I still think about the UK and America and I don't think they do it better than us either, though. Um, I think when I think we're faced with some of the same phenomena, um, America is a land of immigrants. It it is by nature what it is. And um, the decimation and colonisation, you know, First Nations people there are really, Mm. really minimal through disease and war and famine and things like that. In the UK, I do think there's a, a slightly different revering of older people than we have. And I think that's possibly due to the size of little villages. There's still a lot of little villages where people have lived for in a long time in the same place. And they do have a penchant for the eccentric and they do appreciate that and value it. Yeah, I think it's slightly different. My hunch is based on no facts and no science is it's something to do with our connection to place and having deep roots in who we are and where we are so that over generations, you know, it kind of gets built into the DNA, the deep story inside of us about what it means to belong. And, I mean, I can wander around where I live. Um, I live in South Australia on Ghana country in a place called Selex Beach and its Ghana name is Wadawali and I don't recognise what the plants can offer me. I don't know what food there is around me in the native vegetation. I can wander through the scrub and just all looks like plants and trees to me. Well, if I had lived here and my grandmother had lived here and my great-grandmother had lived here and my great-great-great-grandmother had lived here, I'd be able to recognise the bush medicine in the landscape. I'd be able to recognise what food to use. So I do think there's something about being in a place long enough for that to kind of seep into our deep DNA. Mm, and maybe that our elders, they hold that wisdom so we can't learn it anywhere else, right? So, you know, we rely on those stories and for, to sit around, you know, the old days in the campfire or, or just sit around even just having a cup of tea and, and hearing those beautiful stories. So how can we get better at this then? So because, you know, this is something that you think we should be changing and we should be more respectful of our elders. What, what do we need to do? Well, I think that, you know, your lovely example at the beginning of this conversation, you know, asking questions of older people that are going to inform your life. I had a young colleague yesterday tell me she had a terrible sore throat and I said, oh, I hope you're feeling better. Gargle some salt water with some salt water. Not thinking that was like a new idea because, you know, my grandma told me that and probably hers did as well. And But she doesn't have older people around her so much. So, 
she said, oh, thank you, I'll try that. And I thought, oh, that's really, in, that was just a little glimmer in an ordinary everyday encounter. So I do think talking, asking, that always helps. I think paying attention to the seasons and the land around you will hopefully give you some new information and asking people, delving into the story of place wherever you are and where did it come from, you know, where did its name come from, who has lived here before, what are the foods in the area, what are the seasons like, like just getting into the rhythm of the place I think is useful as well. Yeah, and it just, again, when you're talking through that, it makes me think about the fact that we're so transient these days, aren't we? You know, I just think around how many places I've lived in my life and, you know, both in Australia, I've lived all over and and also overseas. And so that sense of place, I I understand, I can really resonate with that, you know, that you, you don't spend enough time in a place to really get deep within. However, there is that element of actually tapping into the elders of the area, you know, and whether they're not your family, that you could actually learn more about that. And I think that's your point, right? Yeah, definitely. And I do think that, um, you know, COVID has given this incredible opportunity to us because we can't move, that we've had to sort of say, okay, now where do I actually live? And I mean, I know that was true for me. I literally just moved house just as COVID was, uh, hit just a little while beforehand. And I was feeling very unsettled and thought, oh, you know, will I ever feel like I belong here or will I, will I love the land and will, that, will the land love me back, you know? And because I wasn't able to go anywhere and I spend a lot of time on the road and always have done, it's meant that I've had to kind of get familiar with my place and it's been a really positive thing. And I think that's true. I hear from so many people around the world, friends in all sorts of places, who were saying things like, well, I really know my neighbours in a way I didn't know before. I know because I'm walking late at night when I can walk and I'm not allowed to get out. And so I'm getting to see the landscape in different times of the day that I never saw before. So I do think there is something about this time that is a gift to us about growing some roots deeper in the places we are. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. So let's talk into that then about, you know, this is about how we can improve and tapping into the elders around us. And that doesn't mean whether, you know, you could be 15 or you could be 70 and tap into elders, right? Because, you know, there's always someone around that you can learn from is my um, take on life. But as eldership as such, as, you know, you sort of transitioning into a new phase of your life, post 60, and that was sort of some stuff we talked about previously, what does eldership look like and how can you do it gracefully and do it, you know, actually with vigor and enjoy being older rather than, you know, all of us thinking as society, like it's, you know, it's bad to get old. Like, you know, we need to change that notion, right? Because this is the time that we're more, you know, we're more knowledgeable, we're more comfortable with who we are, you know, we've got our shit together in life, like this should be our time to shine. So how do, how do we embrace getting old better? <laughs> well, I think the first thing that really helped me was um, listening to Jane Fonda. So I can assure all your listeners and viewers that I am not a Jane Fonda kind of gal. I think I'd die if I had to do 10 push-ups in a hurry like she can do. But she talks about life being in three acts and 
Act 1 is the first 30 years of your life, Act 2 is the second 30, and Act 3 is the third 30. And she's well into her 80s now. So she says Act 3 is, you know, you celebrate Act 3 as you're turning 60. So when I heard that and I and she gave, there's a couple of fabulous talks you can watch online of her talking about Act 3, I was so inspired and encouraged by how she was talking about it as an incredible gift and that in my, you know, in our generation, we are living longer. So we do have an Act 3 that is as long as Act 1 and Act 2, which our grandparents and great-grandparents did not have that. Their Act 3s were very short. And so she was saying, you know, given that we've got these extra years in our life, what are we going to do with them? How are we going to be generative? How are we going to give back? And I really, um, you know, really meditated on that. And so I do think that's one clue for me about what to do to really embrace it as a third stage. And we talk about, you know, there's been the University of the Third Age and there's been a lot about what does it mean to be in that third of your life. I'm really noticing that I'm also going back to things I did in my younger years, in my first 30 years, and seeing how they're stacking up now and what's the harvest of that or what is it that I didn't quite finish that I really want to now do. What kind of stuff? Like, so what, what have you gone back to? I did a lot of stuff early in my life around different models of the economy and green economy and all sorts of things like that and feminist economics. And somehow in the middle 30 years of my life, I I didn't forget it. It was still there. And now I'm going back to it and I'm really surprised how well it stacks up still. And it's making me want to do more things. So I'm getting more involved in the cooperative movement here in Australia, um, more feminist economics and Obviously, the things I'm doing in my feminism around Chook's essay, which is a movement trying to close the gender investment gap. Uh, we've got an incubator program called the Hen House for women who perhaps don't see themselves as entrepreneurial or for whatever reason haven't had those opportunities in the past to help them you know, birth new businesses linked to the sustainable development goals. It feels like it's a harvest of what I of seeds I sowed early on in my life. And like Jane Fonda, who uses the analogy of the theatre, you know that if there's a gun in the um, on the kitchen table in Act One, it goes off in Act Three. So I'm not using that kind of a thing, but I think the seeds sown in Act One have the chance to harvest in Act Three or mature. And you know we've got so many more things available to us in terms of technology and resourcing and relationships and networks. You know, I just didn't have what I have now as a 20-year-old that I do have as a 60-year-old. But I think some of the stuff you and I have discussed around that transition period and, you know, the ageing gracefully, but there's also, I'm curious about your thoughts around the transition from, so you're still involved in business, you're you're still, you know, heavily involved actually in, in a lot of different companies, as you said, but also you've transitioned from previous sort of positions. And I'm interested in your take in that of how people need to sort of move on and allow those others to come through, but not, it's not to say that you're not worthy or wanted in the workforce anymore it's just that your role is a little bit different yeah thank you absolutely I I have a bit of an aversion of women my age and men my age who are in CEO roles and just hanging on to them as if they're going to not be a human being if they don't have them anymore my advice is get out of the way and start mentoring and supporting younger ones to come through Um, I certainly had plenty of help along the way and I do and I am giving that back 
Uh, but I really feel that a lot of us, particularly if we've worked really hard to get to that top of the tree, it is hard to let go. And, you know, we don't want to because so much of our identity is pushed into that. So to transition into that is a matter of really testing yourself and re thinking, okay, doesn't mean you haven't got anything to give. It means you've got something different to offer. You've created a pathway for other people to follow after you. So, you know, there's plenty of room on that runway for all of us. And um, we can definitely find support is, you know, different times, find different ways we can support each other, but also different ways in which we can be for each other. And, you know, I don't have to be directing people to be influential. And you don't have to be, you know, the head of a company or the chair of a board to actually help shape its future. And I think there's a real piece around, as you sort of touched on there, around ego, isn't it? And it's a piece I'm writing at the moment in actually my fourth book is around that, our attachment to ego and how, you know, we have these labels in life, whether it is CEO or mother or, you know, sister or friend, all those kind of expectations we put on ourselves and that we feel how others view us in that term. And I think, you know, that's a really interesting point as you transition all through different parts of your life, like even me, you know, leaving full-time work and moving into all these other exciting endeavors I've been doing there's been a little bit of a grieving process I guess for that you know that people say what do you do and I'm like well it's kind of hard I can't say I'm a CEO of this or a MD or whatever of that anymore it's like I do lots of different things so uh, you know getting used to that and I think that's a transition for someone going through act three of maybe you're not in the workforce full-time anymore but the value you can add and I think that's the point that you're making is is so much more significant when it's not so much about you anymore and your endeavors it's about that you know serving and giving back isn't it it is about acts of service and it's also about how we want to leave a legacy um, I think in your younger years you're building towards something my favorite poet David White he talks about you know our disappearance and so we have to really understand how we disappear. But I do think it's also about how we influence that journey uh, for ourselves and for other people. And just holding a big enough frame, I think that often we are too small in who we are. And so we don't necessarily, you know, we are only the CEO, when in fact we're all a million things. We are everybody's sister, auntie, custodian of the land or cook you know, post office assistant, whatever you know, we might be, we are more than one thing all the time. I do think that actually frees us up. It gives us a lot more liberty than we have if we just see ourselves in a specific, you know, one-dimensional role. Such a beautiful point, Moira, you know, to see ourselves in so many different ways. I mean, I just think to think about that and really sit with that would just do uh, so many people wonderful things rather than defining yourself in one core way and seeing that that's how you view yourself and how others see you. If we treat ourselves as being always at a threshold, we're always at a place of becoming. You know, um, I think too often in our world, and particularly when you're on the career path, you're always wanting to become the next thing, you know, whatever it is higher in the ladder. And that's still true as, you know, as you leave, you're becoming something else as well. And so just recognising that we're on thresholds every day of new beginnings and that's opening. It's not necessarily a closing. And we're con in our disappearance, we're also opening up into what other possibilities there might be for us. And I'd say be surprised, be willing to be surprised. 
So, that, I mean, you're talking through all that is such great stuff. And but it makes me feel like you've obviously done a lot of work in this space. So what did you learn through that transition then, you know, around sort of moving through to this phase? Because even though you're at the early stage, if you say it's 60 and you're 62, is that right? Yeah. So like you've, you've done a lot of work, obviously, already. What can you share with people about that and what you learned about the process and yourself through that? You know, constantly being willing to be broken open and being vulnerable is really important. And that's not a new thing. I think that I've tried to you know, put myself on the line a lot of times in life. And I also think what's helped me along the way to do that is what is it that breaks you open? And sometimes there are things that, that come out of left field that you have no control over. And I can certainly had a few of those. And then there's things that you can invite into your life to help you do that. And for me, that's always been poetry. You know, I can't go past people like Mary Oliver and David White and John O'Donoghue. They they are my friends and companions on the way. They are my mentors and guides. And I give thanks to them, um, you know, and, and ancient ones as well like Rumi. And so those voices I try and carry with me and listen into and see what they open up for me. And then in the in the curveballs that come that you, you know, have no control over, if you've got a resource to draw from, they will help you get through that. And for some people, that's prayer and meditation or physical exercise or I also like to sing, um, I'm in a choir. So whatever those things are for you, it's no point starting them well there is some point but it's a bit late if we're in a crisis I really you need to build the disciplines early and so some of the things that have happened to me in in recent time my husband was ill for nearly 10 years had a lung condition so caring for him in the context of him being at home and he died at home and then after he died there were some really surprising things about him I didn't know that became visible and there was considerable debt that I didn't know he had and um, I had to move house and there's all sorts of, you know, really giant sort of things. stuff, yeah. yeah. And I was grateful beyond measure for my deep love of friendships and family that I couldn't have done it without them. But I also know that I did have some things I could also draw on for myself. And don't, you know, don't abandon professional help. You know, if you need to seek a psychologist or a psychiatrist or social worker, a counsellor, whoever it is, pastor or minister I really encourage people you do not have to do these things on your own or journaling you know a lot of people get solace in that just writing it down even if you burn it you know like no one has to see it but actually getting that out of your body and out of your mind is really helpful yeah and I've got a younger friend who's been through quite a bit of trauma lately she's a runner and she just runs it out you know and I mean I couldn't do that as I said before I'd be well and truly um, visiting the hospital for some CPR or something but you know, it's um, really important that we use whatever works for us. And I'm, I'm a writer, so I do do a lot of writing and I've been writing a weekly blog for seven, I think this might be the eighth year. And so that just gives me a weekly discipline of writing. Whatever mechanism is that works for you and find one and use it and treat it as a discipline. You know, yoga, it doesn't matter what it is. Thank you, Moira. Like that's there's some beautiful stories and things in there that you've just shared with us. So such touching and I can't even imagine, you know, going through that, like with your husband, like what a 
phenomenal experience but you're obviously open to change and to to grow through these and you know that constant work on yourself is evident uh, you know in terms of where where you're at now so you're a beautiful person I'd love to finish with touching on a little bit about your newest role which is elder in residence with CEO so I am a activator at CEO but I'd love for those that don't know what CEO is I'd love you to tell us a little bit about that and about what this new role means for you. Thank you. I'm really excited about this. I've been uh, an activator too for two years now in Australia um, because it's been here for two years, which is fantastic. And it's a wonderful way of contributing to women who want to make a difference in the world. So I really encourage everyone to go to CEO.world and find out more about it. But I've been facilitating volunteering um, once a week during covid where we've been bringing together all of the activators and benches in Australia and they've been doing it also for New Zealand and for Canada and um, the US and for the UK as well. But on the Australian calls once a week on a Wednesday morning, I get to um, host these calls and it's been fantastic. Every week there's inspiration, there's tears, there's celebration, there's surprises. And I get off the phone, I think, well, that's the best way I could have spent an hour today, uh, for sure, and I'm really happy about it. And a couple of weeks ago, the founder, Vicky Saunders, gave me a call and said, we've got to find a way to have you more involved with us. And I'm going, okay, that sounds really nice. I was blushing and surprised and, and very honoured, very flattered. And so I said to her, look, okay, I've got a few ideas. Can I sleep on it? Because, you know, a little bit of um, subconscious doing the work for me. Let's see what comes out. And um, because this this is such an important issue to me about how we honour and find new ways of doing pathways to eldership, I went back to her and said, I think I'd like to be elder in residence for for CEO and that I can um, provide advice. I've had a you know a very mixed and deep career. I've been everything. I've worked from the kitchen table to the cabinet table as a direct social worker, practice social worker, through to being a chief of staff for a minister. I've run businesses. I've been on boards, um, lots of community mobilising, and you know maybe all of that experience can speak to different parts of the work and also model. CEO is all about disrupting the systems and actually making a new system. So if I think this is missing from our current system, how about we build it into our new system, our CEO world system? And um, Vicky said, what a great idea. And um, let's do it. it. So we're doing it. Fantastic. Now, I can't wait to see where it heads and, and what how you evolve and, um, you know, really mould that role and have such a significant or continue to have a significant impact on CEO. So thank you, Moira. It's been so lovely to talk to you today and you've just provided some really interesting words of wisdom for all of us. I'm going to go out and um, catch up with a few of my mates on the street here that are in their 70s. I always uh, pick their brains for information and um, think of you while I'm doing it. So it's been lovely to have you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat today really appreciate it if you'd like to learn more about today's guest you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website wabisabiseries.com if you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations please subscribe to the series follow us on our socials or grab one of my books and if you're in a generous mood i'd love you to share the episode or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi 
and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.